0: this podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. This episode with the one and only, the muscle doc, Dr. Jordan Shallow is unbelievable. Jordan and I have been going back and forth via text um, for shit the last like six months trying to hunt him down, (laughs) lock down a time that worked for both of us. We are both insanely busy, but I am busy in one place. This man is busy all around the world. He is educating people in many different ways, literally across the globe, teaching them how to move better, move more efficiently, move more pain-free, and build more muscle and build more strength the smart way. Dr. Jordan Shallow is the founder of Prescript. He is a performance coach at stanford university He is a coach for elite fts a, a article writer as well um, he is a powerlifter. he is a podcaster he is a chiropractor the man wears many hats the best way to describe him in my opinion is an educator and an interpreter he is somebody who takes some of the most complicated science on human movement and human anatomy and he makes it more practical and applicable for the everyday dude and lady to uh, the everyday person and athlete looking to build more muscle, get stronger, move more efficiently and stop being in pain. Um, what I love most about this podcast specifically is that Jordan is so unbelievably smart that sometimes it's hard to grasp what he is trying to conceptualize and trying to convey across the mic. And I think I did a really good job at, at having a conversation with him at eye level so many of you can truly understand what he is getting across whereas in person that can be a lot easier to accomplish if you go to one of his prescript certification courses if you go to work with him individually or if you go to muscle camp that he runs with ben pokolsky when you go to these events which i have not been to unfortunately yet But when you go to these events, it is much easier to grasp and learn from him when he is right in front of you getting hands on with you. And it's even easier for me watching him talk to me across the screen. However, what I will say is during this conversation, we brought things down to a level that I think you're going to be more easily able to understand and apply into your training, into your coaching, into your movement practices. So I'm really excited to have Jordan on the podcast, not only because he is a genius when it comes to getting strong, building muscle and moving more efficiently, but He's a really, really humble and good person. Just the conversations I've had with him on and off air, the dude is just genuine. He's very authentic, and I can't say enough about the guy. He is a really cool guy. He's a really good person. He is always willing to help and go that extra mile to just make sure that he is providing more value, and I really, really think you are going to see that heavily in today's episode. Guys, before we jump into the podcast, I just need to say one quick thing. Do me a huge favor and help me grow this podcast by sharing it. The easiest way for me to grow this podcast, get more listeners reach more people so they can learn, educate with us and get better results. It's for you to share it on your Instagram story. Yes, that is the easiest way possible. No ads, no marketing, none of that stuff. Just organic reach is really the best way. So if you love this podcast, if you enjoy the conversation with Jordan and myself, please do me a favor and head over to Instagram and post a screenshot of this podcast on your story. Tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom and tag Jordan at the underscore muscle underscore doc we would love to see who's listening to the show who is learning with us and we would love to share it on our story as well so without any further ado let's get on to this amazing episode with the one and only dr jordan shallow all right jordan shallow man i've been excited to get you on the podcast for quite a while Uh, i have a couple friends that know you and uh, speak very highly of you i've listened to a ton of your content and i'm excited because you're i mean shit is blowing up first of all so obviously what you're doing is really great but i think it's cool because And you can, I'd love to get your thoughts of like, I'm sure more people say this, but you're kind of one of those guys that really dives into movement, dives into mechanics, dives into how your body should feel and being quote unquote pain free. But you're also not like a Gumby skinny yoga guy or the quote unquote Cairo with a collared shirt and glasses, like you're fucking huge. So the fact that you actually lift and train and know about hypertrophy and strength and powerlifting. It's kind of a perception thing, so I don't want to say like you have to be jacked to be intelligent, but but it does show you that you know what you're doing and you actually live what you preach, which I really find respectable. So, um, man, thank you for coming on the show and taking the time. I know you have a crazy schedule. Yeah, no, man, it's a
1: long time, a long time in the works, and it's almost it's surprising to me that this hasn't happened earlier, just with like the overlapping circles. But no, I'm excited to I'm excited to do this, man. This has been one that's like on the calendar. I've been looking forward to this one.
0: Hell yeah, man! Thank you. So, uh, the first thing I want to go into is is how this all got started. Like, I I know you've kind of given your story multiple times of the the corporate stuff and the the PT and the Cairo stuff, but like, at what point did uh, the like jacked movement guy or the jacked PT and like kind of combining these two worlds? Because, dude, you you help massive bodybuilders, you help the strongest people in the world, you also help general athletes, you help general people that just want to feel better. How did this like world of Instead of niching into one market, kind of combining all these things to achieve essentially one thing of looking, feeling, and, and performing great, kind of collide.
1: Ugh, that's, man, I don't, I still don't even know what I do, honestly. Like, I get <laughs> like I tr- I travel so much, so I get a lot of points. So I'm like, I'll be in like a lounge somewhere, and someone will like come up, and be like, "Oh, sir, can you clear off my table?" I was like, "Oh no, like I don't work here. Sorry. Like I'm just waiting for the 10:15 to London." So, and then people are like, oh, like, well, what do you do? And then it's like, that's a great question. I have no idea. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. Like, just, just started following, just sort of chasing down the passion. Like, uh, I went to chiropractic college in California, um, started in like 2011, 2012 and graduated in 2015. And it was just, you know, saying yes, working for free um, and, and helping out like whoever I could. And some of those people were, you know, some of those people were like top level power and, you know, you got some results with them and they had friends and, and, but some people were just like people in my dm like you know realizing that i came out of grad school at like 25 it's like you just need experience so like had a corporate gig got to see a lot of patients there but then like wanting to move more into like the athletic space like being an athlete um like having the mindset of always being an athlete first i think is something that's found me pretty well and has given me a different lens to look through so like whether it was like you know my role as a strength and conditioning coach at stanford have taking on strength and conditioning from an athletics perspective or like you know as a chiropractor in practice in the bay area like all my patients i'm an athlete first and that's what started to draw and attract athletes to me and then you sort of have to reframe the paradigm that gets drilled into you in school like in school they, they just they prepare you to pass a test really and like they don't they don't really teach critical thinking they don't really teach creativity but um just kind of throwing yourself in and, and and trusting your own critical thinking skills and just saying yes to opportunities working for free and just kind of doing like that's the thing now like i make a bit of money now like but this time last year my bank account was 22 dollars overdrawn and i was homeless sleeping in my office like and I'm, I'm as happy now as i was then like it's all the same and i think that's like that's sort of the fundamental pillar of when this all started to happen when it's like i didn't really care anymore like like yeah whatever money no money doesn't really matter like i still work for free a lot it's like the people i work for free now are you know like this they're, they're higher end athletes and it's just about proving your worth like i think kids these days kids these days fuck listen to me i 29 <laughs> years old back in my day um you know i think people they come out of school and you know you come out with a decent amount of debt and like i think there's a sense of entitlement that comes with having these degrees and it's like fuck that man you haven't you haven't earned shit Um, so that's, that's where I'm at. And I think that's where I'm always at. Like just trying to keep like a friend of mine, Joe DeFranco always says the white belt mentality. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That was the circuitous way of answering your question. I don't even know if I answered it, but like that for me is kind of like, that's always been the pillar and like never veering too far away from that. Like, you know, the social media or whatever, like the different opportunities I have, but like staying grounded. I think that's, that's the key. Um, but starting off is like just. I, I I don't know, man, just do what you're passionate about. And this doesn't seem like work. And as cliche as that sounds, I'm finding that to be like more and more true, like every day. So, um, yeah, again, I don't know if that answered your questions.
0: I don't know if it did either, but it gave it gave like a good lesson. I think something I repeat a lot because I get a lot of people who I mean, we, we run a successful online coaching business and I get people all the time. They're like, OK, how do I do that? How do I create that? And I'm always like, man, you got to like, for lack of being like a Gary V guy, you got to eat dirt for a while. Like there was a long time where I just worked for free. I trained people in the gym for hours every week. I just wrote and post articles and went places for free, 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 because I just love doing this shit. And then eventually it kind of built up and carried on. It sounds like it's the same with you. And I, and I love that you push that.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing, man. Like, it's funny you mentioned Gary Vee, because it's like, I, I fucking hate him. Like, I fucking hate <laughs> him because i don't like that like if someone ever asks you like how bad do you want it you're asking the wrong question it's like how much do you love it Mm -hmm. like it was never a question like you know like shit went south with my wife last year and i was like i was homeless but it was like i could still work and that's all like i love to do like it was never like this like uh, how fucking lucky am i that i get to do this and like you know i looked at like the names and the people that I get to work with now, and I'm like, dude, I'm from like a fucking ghetto town in southwestern Ontario. Like, I could, my future was like put three screws into a fucking minivan, and I get to do this shit for work. Are you serious? Like, yeah, like I don't like that. Like, you know, if that's your only motivation of like, yeah, you got to work hard, you got to work hard. It's like, last man, like you gotta fucking, you gotta, you gotta bleed it, you gotta love it, and and I think like getting away for me anyway, like getting away from that like that kind of you know grind mentality and just like wake up every morning like fuck man what a good life like you know you got yeah like i eat dirt like some days i'm the sugar cookie for sure but like at the end like the perspective for me that allows this to be sustainable is just like man what the fuck am i doing like right now i'm in i'm on broadway i'm in my buddy's office in this gym and it's like soho there was like an A-list actor that I was just talking with for like 20 minutes. And I was like, why the fuck am I here? Like I've seen every one of these guys. I'm not gonna name his name. <laughs> and I check my email and there's like a tennis pro from the US Open that was like supposed to play Rafael Nadal three days ago. And he's in my inbox talking to me about like his shoulder whatever, like an injury that he had. I was like, what the fuck? Like someone's gonna like someone's gonna figure me out soon. But I don't know. It's it's uh it's it's an interesting way. Like if I would have asked you. What did you tell your high school guidance counselor when they said, "Hey, man, like, what do you want to do when you grow up?" What would you have told them?
0: Fuck, dude. Back then, I have no. Cl- I literally had no idea. I was in the same position, man. I skateboarded and I partied and I got bad grades and I was like, dude, I don't, I don't fucking know. I don't want to go yeah. to school. <laughs> that's all I care about. Like, who knows? So I'm yeah, with you. but you doing all right, man? Like, and I yeah. think that's
1: just chasing down the passion. Like, and don't lose sight of that. Like, it's a weird. It's like it's not an answer, but it's my answer to everything.
0: Yeah, hundred percent, and and I agree with that too. And and uh, the reason I said Gary Vee is because he says eat dirt, but I'm with you on the fact that I think it's about why you're doing what you're doing, and just constantly remind yourself. I, I do that every day. I actually, like I'm I'm a writer. Like I love blogging and shit, so I always write in my journal every morning. But that's that's literally all I write. I just like what do I fucking love? What am I grateful for? Why am I doing this in the first place? Like reminding yourself of that shit keeps you going nonstop.
1: Yeah, hundred percent, man. Like and that because that's. That's a well that doesn't run dry, like the external motivation, like the whatever the fuck his name is, like that that the 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 motivational preacher guy. Like yeah, you can watch those videos, but like, <laughs> yeah. And it's like you know, sure, yep. man. Like I agree. it's almost like training. Like you know, I used to be like a Ronnie Coleman video before I worked out. It's like man, some days I gotta train at four thirty in the morning. It's, there's not a, there's not a related video on YouTube that's gonna get me up for a, a four thirty workout. You gotta love it, like that's the only thing, um, and we're just in a unique position where you know we've we've just said yes, do a lot of things, and now we're in a position where we can do it, and don't fucking lose sight of that and yeah, like just be grateful for it and again, like <laughs> I think I'm dancing around the question, but like that's that's really been the only driver like that's how it all started that's when when I adopted that mindset, that's when things started, so that may be a more direct answer to your question,
0: yeah, yeah, um so this this uh kind of a selfish question something i've wondered uh when i listen to you talk on podcasts and things like that um and i think this is kind of in and i've heard you talk slightly about it in the training realm but i'm just curious about life in general so like and this happens in the diet space too because i do mainly nutrition stuff and there's people who are so worried about stress that they never fucking get lean because they're afraid to diet and then i think in the training world it's the same thing like there's all these movement specialists and and um, great things are coming out like FRC and all these different protocols, but they're so afraid to lift heavy that they never progress from a strength or hypertrophy standpoint. Um, and I'm, I'm so I'm curious about your thoughts on like how to kind of find that balance, like how like how do you implement stress and how do you do it in your own life? Because dude, you're lift heavy, you still run a successful business, you travel the fucking world. Like, do you just hibernate on the plane for <laughs> ten hours and you're good? Like, how do you try to balance that stress and what's your opinion on this whole entire? I don't even know if it's a debate, but just issue of almost like not allowing people to stress enough to create adaptation, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've seen this before, right? Like when Poliquin came out years ago, you know, driving like a 45-minute workout and the cortisol spike and all that, it's like, it's understanding that stress is an aggregate from a physiological perspective and understanding this idea that we're not ever chasing as athletes homeostasis, we're chasing allostasis, the ability to constantly be able to push the envelope in which we can recover from stress. For me, it's good proof of concept from a business perspective because we focus on minimum effective dose in ways to push that allostatic load, right? We're not, I don't, Prescript is not about making anyone professional and warming the fuck up. Like, I don't care about your goddamn 99. Like, load the goddamn bars, son, and then we'll see who's who. (laughs) Like, yeah, great. You can do some animal flow bullshit, but when when it's third attempt or it's fucking fourth and long, it's like, it's going to be my dogs that fucking hunt, right? And I think that's like, I walked in the gym, so I had a girlfriend in high school. (laughs) <laughs> it's gonna be weird. If you ever listen to this she's gonna fucking kill me. Out. Her, name was, her name was Emily Cecile, and she simultaneously started dating another guy named Jordan who was on the football team. I i wasn't a big, like I was a small kid. I was like a kind of a runt, long hair, glasses. And his best friend was this dude named Travis Sartori. I'll never forget that guy was a monster. And like I look back now, and like relative to what I was in high school, like he was like he was, but now compared, like, yeah, he's just kind of an average dude. Nice guy. Like, again, like none of this is coming from ill will, but like it's all about motivation. Like when I walked into the gym the first day, it was because like someone swiped my girlfriend in the tenth grade, and everyone fucking knew about it. And I'll be goddamn for the rest of my life if someone's brave enough to do that again. And that was my motivation. It wasn't about being like mobile. It wasn't like I wanted to walk sideways through doors. And there's been times when I push 300 pounds, like in off season, like that's like an issue, like walking through toilet seats become daunting <laughs> bidets and airbnbs are preferred and that was my motivation man i just wanted to be for no other reason and like obviously now you fall in love with the process like train, like now being a competitive powerlifter and and it, it being a, a major source of motivation for me and the content that i write and, and the, the theories i adapt and the programs i design but man my initial fucking drive into the gym was some chick i dated went to something better i was like god damn it if that'll happen again and that was it like it wasn't about like being mobile or functional It was about like you got to be a fucking dog like you got to be sometimes it's like just having a bigger stick than the other guy and i think never losing sight of that like never like you know i'm not as strong right now as i've been in like my biggest meets but that mentality is like when the bar is fucking loaded like that's it so i think from for me from a stress perspective like that it's it's the more I work, the better my training becomes because it's an outlet. Like I understand that stress is an aggregate. So when I'm here, it, it forces me to write better programs for myself and my clients and, and like our team at Prescript because it's like, okay, like I understand that stress, the physiological response is uniform, stress and training. So right now my training frequency is much lower. My intensity is fucking crazy because I only get to train four days a week um, because I'm traveling and all this stuff. But it's if when you understand how to harness stress, it's your most powerful tool because it's what drives adaptation. So it's like, again, like I didn't, I don't want anyone to be professionals at warming up. Like I want fucking dogs. And if you can program properly, like by the time you get someone into a gym, they should be like at the end of the leash, ready to go. And then you just let the leash go, and then you watch them train. And like, oh fuck yeah. So I think just maintaining the athlete first, and from a mindset perspective, like programming effectively, like that's your best recovery tool. It's not fucking saunas. It's not like fucking shooting your goddamn bow in your underwear in your goddamn driveway. It's not red light. It's not blue light. It's fucking programming, like understanding allostatic load and then programming around that. That's that's recovery, and and and, and to miss that is to miss programming. So, yeah. So that for me is like the biggest. It's it's the biggest driver. Like it's literally what my whole business is based on.
0: I love that because i can't remember who it was i want to say i don't know if you're familiar with renaissance periodization but i had uh dr james hoffman on the podcast talking about recovery and he just wrote a book on recovery and i was expecting him to go into all these external factors that we can implement whether it's compression or sleep or sauna or ice baths um, and the first thing he said he's like none of this matters if your programming sucks like that's where recovery actually starts and i love that you started with that um, which actually kind of leads me into one of my questions is is very broad and this this could be something very direct or you could have like 20 different things so we can take this however we want but what are the biggest mistakes you see in in not necessarily young coaches but these people you're working with these people that you're speaking to at, at conferences or at seminars so on and so forth people that you work with prescript what are the biggest mistakes you see inside of their program design
1: um the ignoring neurological preparedness like understanding that we, it quantifying stimulus, and I'm going to take this um, and adapt it. I have a close friend of mine, Ben Pakulski, someone I, uh, I present with, someone I, I look up to and learned a lot from, um, and, and he uses it to talk about just specifically hypertrophy training when it comes to programming. But I think adapting across the board, and, and it was really kind of it struck home with me when I heard it, because that's essentially what we do is like, you can't quantify a stimulus until you can qualify it, right? So And this is where the mobility and stability and strength, sort of like the tagline and sort of the mantra at Prescript started was like, you know, if, if you're starting each workout with different ranges of motion, different levels of stability, like all transient things. Like if I get off, if I was on a 15 hour flight from Melbourne to LA, like when I get off that plane, it's like, I am not as mobile as I am if I you know, just lectured for eight hours, and I'm on my feet all day. So it's like, okay, before we get to the starting line of every workout, before that first set hits and the first work set hits, I want to make sure that I have these gatekeeper drills that I know that I'm starting every workout from the exact same starting point of neurological preparedness. I have the same range of motion and I have the same level of stability that'll predicate my output. So I know then everything that's quantified after that starting point is now, a, is now subject to good or bad programming from progressive overload, periodization or block periodization, uh, undulating periodization, whatever the strategy is, I know that for every workout, the results I see from my clients is that that's real. That's nothing is a false negative or false positive. It's, it's quantified from the same starting position because there is that progression to make sure, regardless of circumstances, workouts are starting from the same relative starting point every single time. You know, imagine being a nutrition coach. Like here's an example. Like imagine being a nutrition coach and your clients are always weighing in on different scales. It's like, well, fuck. I'd rather you have an inaccurate scale that you weigh in on every day because at least it's relative to the same thing. Right. right. So that's kind of how the periodization and the programming, that's what's missed a lot is the integration of like, because like you said, like, you know, there's this woo woo fucking 90 90 FRs and not to pick on FRC, <laughs> kind of. Um, <laughs> but there's a whole market of like, you know, warming up. And then you hear you have this working out and it's like, okay, how do we take the minimum effective dose of this, plane specific and goal specific and, sim- and athlete and symptom specific, and integrate it with the actual training itself? and again like it, this is this is the main piece this is a this is an exponent right if we can set the workout to a greater exponent we're going to yield much greater results so that's kind of the biggest thing i see is, is the dissonance between these two camps because when people embody this they're embodying one or the other wholeheartedly. it's you know it's the old school west like guys and fuck me i like i write for elite fds like i know what i know a couple old school guys who are like oh like you don't need to train core like squat bench and deadlift is core it's like you don't need to stretch like you're gonna make yourself weaker and all this stuff it's like grandpa you can't say that anymore like it's fucking 2019 and then like you know you got these like namaste in a fucking a headstand pose guys that it's like listen man like i'm I'm gonna steal your girl like <laughs> that's you know and I, i'm obviously facetious but like you know, like the dog's got to hunt. It's like, what are you going to do? Like fold yourself up into a pretzel when shit pops off. Like that's kind of the thing. Um, he apologizes. i mean, in his office and he apologizes. Get out of here. Get out of here. Um, you're making a cameo appearance in this, Don. Hey, buddy. How you doing, man? It's Cody. Oh, Don, so hey, nice hey. you've
0: hey, been on, you've bro. already I'm been sorry. on the podcast, man. I was going to ask if it was Cody, you. Or, Cody hey, McGrath. You've been on the oh, podcast before, you. brother. Let's get it, brother. Boom, boom. That's right. <laughs> so, there you go
1: to get two for one. Um, it is a small yes, world, man. Isn't it? Um, but yeah, and that's the thing. It's like you know, I, I posted a video up yesterday. Be just doing a warm up, one of my like proprietary exercises for my current training program, and it was just like Bulgarian split squat in a single leg RDL with an 80 pound dumbbell. And people were, like that got more traction than most of my posts this month. And like I didn't think I had anything of it, but that's it. Like. It's that you know a, a little bit more on the stability side, balance, and all that of, of you know the the guy that drinks fucking mushroom coffee. But it's also with an 80 pound dumbbell, so it's like yeah, yeah old timer. Like say what the fuck you want. Let's see you do that. And, and it's for no other reason that I think it's the only way I've been able to keep training. So imparting that um, at that evidence-based approach is like I can find the research, I know the research, I have clinical experience, and then imparting that on patient values. Like that's evidence that's evidence-based. So I think coming from like an unimpeachable standpoint, that's been something that when I teach that to my clients or or to our students or to our coaches, at the very least people will say, I get it. So that's, I think the biggest blind spot right now is an effective integration of what, you know, some guys go too far with on the mobility and stability side, but let's not lose sight of what we're doing here. Like the goal is, you know, getting like, fuck off strong is always the goal. That's why I walked into the gym the first day. Um, And just knowing that at a certain point, you know my the stability and mobility became a bottleneck to how much size i could put on how much strength i could accrue and now i'm just trying to equate for that bottleneck and teach people how to pre preemptively strike that as a as a blind spot in their training
0: i love that dude. it's almost like a prerequisite to make your training more effective and it kind of relates to something i've been talking about because there's like you've you're probably familiar with this volume is everything now for hypertrophy it's just like as far as all the studies go, it's just like more is better. And I've told a lot of people, it's like volume is a driver of hypertrophy, but if it's not effective volume because you don't have this prerequisite that you're talking about that actually neurologically and physically prepares you for the training or your form is just dog shit and you have horrible exercise execution, it's all junk volume and it's just breaking your nervous system down. You're just getting neurologically fatigued and not growing, essentially. Would you agree with that? Is that kind of your way of thinking in a sense? So for hypertrophy specifically, yeah, like
1: volume, This the, the prevailing research on volume is is almost dovetailing off of like where time under tension was really big in the literature like a few years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Both
1: of which are obviously, you know, they're they're saying kind of the same thing. But it's un, like I have a friend, Luke Tullock, who put it really simply. It's like you're putting tension across fibers essentially. But if we really wanted to go into the weeds of hypertrophy, like unless we're starting to talk resistance profiles and strength curves, we're not having the conversation right like something like time under tension or volume like i don't know how deep into the weeds you want to go on this but like think of like a bicep curl like there are several variations of bicep curls some are totally redundant some the the machine you're working on doesn't match the strength curve of the particular muscle of the person that's using it and then sometimes the programming of that bicep training in a in a week of programming doesn't make any sense or the exercise order within a workout doesn't make any sense so, like, from a hypertrophy perspective, if you can effectively superimpose with the right amount of stability through the rotator cuff and the serratus for maximum output, or you're looking to just ex- externally stabilize, like, you know, a single-arm preacher dumbbell curl, it's like, yeah, you, you could have no rotator cuff and kind of pull that off. But if stability is equated for it, internally or externally, then it comes down to like exercise, like execution, and superimposing the right tempo based off the resistance profile and the strength curve. Like, if I'm doing a let's say i'm doing an incline dumbbell curl and my tempo is a 2 second concentric a 3 second pause a 2 second eccentric and like a 1 second pause that is that's stupid it that doesn't make any sense the incline dumbbell curl is an exercise that is meant to overload the strength curve in the fully lengthened position of the bicep shoulder extension elbow extension pronation of the wrist depending but here we're spending based off of the tempo, we're spending you know, a greater percentage of that time based off that four second or the four number uh, tempo designation in the fully shortened position. It's like, well, if we wanted to do that, that would be a good tempo for like a spider curl, but not a great tempo for an incline bicep curl. Right. So time under even like down to the to the rep based off of each rep in a set, each set in an exercise, each exercise that accumulates volume in a training session, each training session and its frequency that accumulates volume in a week. It's like if we bring it right down to the base level code, it's like we're not getting this shit right. like We're not superimposing resistance profile and strength curves, putting those in order that makes sense based off of fully lengthened, mid-range, and fully shortened positions. Whether that's in a session or in a week or in a block or like whatever your goal is, picking the right frequency based off skill acquisition or output, picking the right amount of rest periods based off the rep ranges, picking the supplemental mobility and stability drills that are going to increase the output, Like, if you're not doing that shit first, you can show me, like, oh, so-and-so at all, this uh, 2018 journal of whatever the fuck. It's like, it doesn't matter. Like, it does not fucking matter. So, it's like, I look at research, and I go, huh, that's neat. Get the fuck out of here. Like it's it's like, I know, and and it's to no fault of any researcher. Like, they could have these thoughts in their head. But it's just, it's so specific that it's like, look, I got a client. I'm going to control as many variables as I have. I'm going to understand the subject. I have a hypothesis. I'm going to take really good starting metric, and I'm going to retest at the end. I'll take the
0: scientific method all day over any single research study. How much inside of that? How much exercise? uh, How much does exercise selection play a role um, from a variation standpoint? Like, are you are you more like, hey, let's master this one movement and we can repeat it over and over again because you're going to be able to progress for a long time on it, or do you like to? use like you use the curl for example um and actually speaking of research there actually was just a really cool study that my friend is his first publication that he's got published down in florida um christopher bearcat shout out to him but they basically put the shoulder and elbows in different positions for the curl so one group did neutral shoulder position curl nine sets one group did shoulder extension neutral and then shoulder flexion so spider curl incline bench curl so on and so forth same volume, but the group with varied joint positions actually grew more. And from my understanding, it's it's very similar to what you're saying. Like you are putting, uh, I believe, different resistance and strength curves in motion, and that volume is is more effective, even though it's the same volume as as the other group. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, no. And I think I know uh, he's I know Chris. I, I he does a lot of nutrition coaching, natural bodybuilding, that kind of yep. stuff. Yeah, he's really a, he's good a dude, smart dude. Yeah, 100%. And I, yeah, I, I think as long as we're equating for the fundamentals that go into that, like the base level code stuff, I think variation is great. I think variation, but also understanding that it's, you know, you're trying to build, you know, exercise as a skill, which I don't think a lot of people respect the skill of exercise. It's like, you know, like if I go swing a fucking golf club, like if I go upstairs and dons gym right now and and take it to one of the tubes, like I'm going to swing it three times. I'm going to get pissed and I'm going to break the title list over my knee. Like, I'm not going to get better, right? But at the same time, it's almost like like look at something like Westside and the way they programmed for, like, strength back in the day. Super variant, right? Like, the intensity was always, like, dynamic or max effort. Like, that was consistent, but there was so much variation. As long as you can adapt to the variations quickly, then you're fine. taking those exercise variations but allowing – the exposure to be great enough that we can actually start to accrue the skill. Cause I think, you know, training in the same plane, even when it comes to strength training, like the second I'm done a competition, it's like, it's front squat, it's safety squat, it's no squatting, it's pack squat. Like I think variation is, is key. But if we understand like some of these base level, like fundamentals, we can really begin to expedite the progress because it's not, we're never, we should never be seeking a novelty stimulus, right? We should be very specific in the adaptations we're going to try and drive. Like when you're a coach, your goal should almost be like a maestro. Like you sit back with all these variables in training, like a maestro would sit back with, with instruments in an orchestra. Like, you know, we have tempo, we have rest periods, we have density, we have frequency, we have intensity. We have this idea of resistance profile and strength curve. We have exercise order. We have um, like we have some of the mobility stuff. We have some of the stability stuff. We have so many different. Like it's not just volume and intensity anymore. Like we should know from a, like from a coach's standpoint, like every single instrument we should almost know how to play, and then we can sit back as a maestro. And this is where programming for me becomes so much fun. So you can sit there and like you can just fucking just start doing one of these right and start making like a very resonant a very harmonious program that ends up you know on surface level my clients just see reps and sets great like when pre-skip programming goes out like because no one wants to lose sleep over this shit like i do like we spent 30 minutes going over like my theory on like execution of the walking lunge he's like don was like you're you're fucking out of your mind man like just do the goddamn walking lunge but i think there's so much that can be done when it comes to like the devils and the details that if by the time this reaches the end user it's just reps and sets great but know that that's just the tip of the iceberg but know from a coach's perspective we we've, we've taken into consideration how this exercise exists in the full you know in that full
0: symphony of the of the program itself i love that dude i think it's it's needs to be heard more because there's a lot of people that look at research or there's even, this is the difference between like researchers and coaches as well, because there are, and this is not a bash of researchers because there's great researchers, but there's researchers who don't coach a ton of people. So they put out information and then some other online coach looks in, at an abstract and calculates volume and boom, they have a program. So things are mismatched, things don't make sense. There is no prime or activation phase going into the program, prerequisites, all this stuff. So I love that you're breaking it down This way, because I actually haven't heard you break it down like this on another podcast, man. So I'm really glad we kind of went this route, which was completely off script, but I think people are going to get a ton of value from it. Um, But I do want to dive into like the the, you talked about the three pillars of prescript. So I want to dive into those before we we run out of time of just going off on this conversation. Um, There's mobility, stability and strength. Can you kind of just break down? these three pillars for everybody listening why each one is important how they phase into your programming is it a daily thing is it a weekly a monthly so on and so forth and then we can kind of just pick it apart as we go yeah so like mobility really, yeah,
1: it's a cool hashtag like it's a nice little like three word thing to put on a landing page but it's essentially <laughs> it's an al- it's an algorithm right like it's an order of operations and i think this is where a lot of people miss the boat like when you do math, you have to do the brackets first, and then the exponents, then division, multiplication, whatever. Like I, I, I stopped doing math once they started like put letters in. I was like, ah, I'm done. That's why I lift. <laughs> that's why I lift weights. But like mobility, like the biggest thing that I think people miss, or like the takeaway is like the mobility work. You know that got hot with K Star and the rise of CrossFit, mobility wad, and all that, and like that brought to light the necessity of range of motion. But understanding there's from a mobility perspective, like honing in on sort of that first pillar it's it's a it's not for everyone like you know I have clients with like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome where I, I you know I got a guy this um, tennis student work was super hyper mobile it's like fuck if there's a single stretch in this guy's warm-up he's too locked as it is but mobility kind of comes in different ways like he's still t- he still still feels tight so it's like okay there's a hierarchy of mobility drills there's static stretching then it's based off dynamics like static stretching is very inert you know, then you can kind of go into distraction, then you can kind of go into self-myofascial release, dynamic self-myofascial release, um, PNF, eccentric load, and then essentially training, right? Because every muscle contraction has a stretched component to it. So mobility is, mobility should be looked at very specifically depending on, you know, what hub of stability we're looking at. So I break the body down, roughly speaking, shoulder, hip, and spine, because this is where you're going to hear you have a weak rotator cuff, weak core, weak glutes, right? So that's kind of like, the biggest issue that a lot of um, programming stems from is around that is, is, is the wording we use weak, 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 rotator cuff, core um, hip or glutes rather. So for me, it's like, okay, do I have the adequate range of motion, not for a particular exercise, but do I have the adequate range of motion to get in positions of instability for the hub of stability that I'm trying to train? Cause that's, that's the linchpin. That's the proprietary shit is understanding Like, because how many clients have I had, like when I was a kid and I was still a trainer, that would come in and be like, ah, like I don't get it. Like I stretch all the time and I'm tight. And you know, you stretch them and they get into like an overhead position. Then you fucking, all right, we'll do dumbbell overhead press. You're good now. And then they come in the next week and it takes them five minutes longer to get into that position, right? And like, what the fuck? Like we're stretching all the time. Think yeah, you're stretching into a structurally unstable position and not, like, you're not circumventing that or you're not um, bolstering that position with functional stability. Functional stability being the role of the rotator cuff, the role of the lateral rotator's hip, and the role of the, air quote, core. So it's like mobility is not meant to be interfaced with the exercise. Mobility is meant to be interfaced with the position of structural instability of the joint. So then we can elicit an efficacious stimulus of stability or instability at that joint to actually make the progression in a separate adaptation. Right. So what do people end up doing? end up doing this stuff right your rotator cuff strengthening your core strengthening your fucking monster walk and hip circle stuff it's like you're training muscle action in isolation in muscles that should be trained with integration and function right so that's the difference like a bottom up a bottoms up press it's like we're not training the rotator cuff to go or like the infraspinatus to externally rotate the shoulder we're training its function to stop any extraneous movement at the shoulder period we're using a, something that's constantly varied in a, in a combined center of mass and a limited base of support. So those are the two functional subcomponents of stability. So we mobilize not to, get into, um, not to get into positions for the particular exercise. We mobilize to get into positions of instability. We load those positions with stimulus of instability, so understanding that stability is predicated off base of support and center of mass. Then from there, we can start to increase strength we can start to load and that's basically how we run all our integrated directive work on the front end of our workout it's like someone needs to stretch okay what plane hips usually extension and internal rotation great do single leg rdl and then do your first set of front squats perfect kind of you have range of motion through the sagittal plane we have the adequate rotation we have stability now at that joint that'll increase the output from a neurological perspective we'll be able to lift more weights our our nervous system acts as like a governor like it, it's like It's constantly keeping inventory of stability, whether it be from structure or function. So as we approach these end ranges of motion, we don't have functional stability trained. Our body is like, it's almost like a golf cart. Like those fuckers can go way faster than they do on the the course. There's a governor put into it to make sure that they, you know, you're not flipping the thing into the the sand trap just off like the ninth hole, right? So it's like, that's how our nervous system works. It's constantly keeping inventory because we would hurt ourselves otherwise. And we find ways to do it, sure. But that's kind of the structure. It's like mobilize into unstable position, elicit a stimulus of instability, then integrate that with load, right? It's like change, like this fucking thing here, and I'm going to take this from Derek Henson and I've used this a few times. This iPhone, the camera on this is shit. It's the software that's really good. That's the whole idea. It's like your, your hardware is your hardware, right? Like your body's your body, your structure's your structure. Like, you know, I've laid out a few times and I have some injuries and scars to prove it but i can constantly update my software right just like with this thing when they release i know in a couple months the second they release like the iphone 11 this fucking thing is going to slow down <laughs> but you know once i approach my 30th birthday i shouldn't be able to, i shouldn't have to slow down i should be able to update my software and that's it's that algorithm algorithm in which you go about changing your
0: software so something we we like kind of skipped over way back and i just want to resurface cuz we're talking about this phase of your training right now how long does this period take within a session? The reason I ask that is because you you kind of mentioned it. There's people that basically just slap 225 on the bar, let's go, and they just get right to it. Um, and then there's people who spend 30 to 45 minutes going through so many different stretches and mobility and all the like breathing and all these different things. And they can all be great, but like that much of it just burns you out, especially mentally. But I, so I'm just curious of how long you actually prepare before a workout. So the stability drills are what I call like my
1: gatekeeper drills, right? So like now I'm to the point where like I'm fairly mobile for being of my size and structure. So the mobility aspect is something I spend very little time on. Hopefully, like, you know, I'll be in Manchester in a few weeks and I'll likely be flying from Vegas. So that's going to be like, that'll be like an 18 hour day. Now, if I go to train the day after that, I know my mobility is going to be shit right? But the first thing I'll do when I go into the gym is I go right to my stability drills. So for lower body, I like walking lunge, single leg RDL, hip airplane. Usually do those in succession. You know, if if I go into my like length of my stride of my walking lunge, and I feel like my low back has to arch for me to get the relative hip extension, internal rotation I need, it's like, okay, I need to stretch that, right? That's like, that's where my, that's where my programming starts. And that's where I challenge all of our members of our team to find that. And listen, like it doesn't have to be like, I like, for me, like um, lower body, walking lunge, single leg, RDL, hip airplane, upper body for serratus windmill because it, it, it introduces thoracic rotation. And then for the rotator cuff, bottom's under press because it, it, it finds the balance between internal and external rotation of your shoulder. If I do those drills before, you know, whether it's hypertrophy style or strength workouts, that one that's going to complement or be on trial the greatest while I'm lifting, you know, some days like, if I walk into the gym, do some walking lunges, single-leg RDLs, hip airplanes, feel pretty good. All right, like we front squatted a few hours ago. That was that was on the and you know didn't feel great. Was up kind of early earlier than usual the last couple of days. Then it's taking an inventory. It's like okay, you know I'm getting a pinching in my ankle on my right side. I'm uh, not as stable on my left. So then I just build fallouts and regressions based off what those what those gatekeeper drills are telling. Then once I can get into these end ranges of motion where I'm structurally unstable, stabilize integrate that into a barbell, then it becomes very concise, right? So our initial our initial offering to people is very much like, okay, we're going to increase mobility. We're going to improve stability. And some people, like, they don't need the mobility side, but the stability side they find very effective. Some people need the mobility side and stability is so bad that they need to, like, you know, use a uh, dowel or hang onto a bench or something like that. And that's fine. But it's, it's the model that I'm married to. It's the, it's the model. It's the order of operations that I think is the proprietary thing that we do different, at least from anyone else. Better, worse, who knows? In 10 years, this might all be bullshit. But as we operate now, that's how we want to do it. We, we, we preach less is more. We preach addition by subtraction. But it's standardizing your approach and a part of training that's otherwise just like, eh, nah, do some warm-up stuff. And some people take that and then it's 45 minutes and they're taxing themselves for no reason. And maybe they're deriving 95% of their benefit from one of the drills that they're doing. You don't know. But this is a standardized approach, just like the reps and sets and everything quantifiable that goes into the program that follows. This is is part of the deal. This is part of the package. This is part of working out. Um, So that's how we go about it. It's like the stability thing. And, And if it's one thing I talk about most is understanding the difference between stability and strength. Those become your your quarterback. So, so like, there are some days, man. I just can't figure it out. I can't stand on one leg to save my fucking life. And it's like, all right, man. Like that's fine. It's not going to be a back squat day. Uh, I'm at I'm at Gold's Venice. They got a cool hack squat. That's externally stabilized. I clearly can't do it internally today for whatever reason. Shit, sleep, diets off, whatever. All right, I'll just go in the hack squat. It's externally stabilized. I'm safe. I can throw on the, I can throw on the, you know, the Jay-Z or whatever, and then just go nuts on that, right? So that's, that's the game you start to play. Like being, like having clarity of vision is easy. It's understanding flexibility of process that's hard, but that's always what we impart is have clarity of vision, but understand flexibility of process.
0: I love that, dude. That breaks it down really well. Um, before, before I, I finish with my, the last thing I want to ask you, is there anything you feel like you left out or anything you need to leave the listeners with on the training front? I mean, we covered so much ground. You answered everything I had. I had probably like six more questions that I was going to ask you that you just covered through that. So I, I appreciate how in-depth you went with everything. Is there anything that you feel like maybe you get asked a lot or that people always wonder or anything that you might have left out or I didn't ask? It's hard to say, man. Like I could talk about this for days. Like I could and
1: I do. Like most of my courses are three days and it's just it's hard to say. I would say like to impart is like there's no such thing as a bad exercise. An exercise without an intent is a bad exercise. Right. Like, dude, life is short, man. And like this sounds esoteric and it sounds like fucking crazy for like, you know, we're young, but at the same time, life is short and it's like you only get so many workouts before you fucking kick it. Like Me and Dom were just chatting about like you know Franco colombo just died and like you know you you never know when your number's up and it's like you know and even now like I'm sure you're the same like with the with the business taking off and the podcast growing and the coaches and all that like for me a lot of this is just driven out of necessity it's like I don't get to train as much as not that as much as I want to like it's still a priority in my life but like I remember days when I was just like some you know slap personal trainer it's like oh I got like three hours between my next clients I'm gonna do fucking arms for three hours now it's like. (laughs) Alarms at four, workouts at 5.30. It's a hard stop at like six. So you got 45 minutes. So it's like, fuck, like what a precious commodity. Every set, every rep, every mobility, every stability drill has an intent and fucking purpose. So it's like, there's no such thing. People are like, oh, like what do you think of this exercise? I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's a cute parlor trick. Like, look, he's standing on his toes. That's fantastic. It's like, I don't know a position or an athlete or an imbalance or a reason why I would do that. But you know, if it makes him happy, sure. But if you can describe to me what the that intent of that exercise is in a workout, the intent of that workout in a week, the intent of that week in a block, that block in a cycle, okay, yeah, I'm on board with that. And I think that's the challenge for coaches. It's like yeah. fucking own your shit, man. Like you know, people are paying you to to provide like a, a product and a service. It's like if you're not putting that level of like effort into it. You're, you're you're fucking leaving us with a really bad name and I, and I think coach it means a lot man like it means something that's why I, that's why i teach trainers dude like last thing i want to do is fucking teach a bunch of dipshit chiropractors like and some are cool because some kind of they get it like they're down with they're down with the program but like you know the guy's gonna come in like oh how's the wife how the kids crack 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 see the fuck that's like, i don't want to i don't want to even do with that man like there's no because at the end of the day like i want to have you want to have impact you want to make change and it's like the change at the end user like fuck being in clinical practice like i see i see the ramifications of trainers and coaches getting the shit wrong i can put a name and a face to a guy who's herniated four discs in his low back has had three botched surgeries he has a fucking he has a a, a regulator up his spinal cord that uses electrical stimulation to down regulate his pain he's been on norco and gabapentin for 18 months An insurance company pays for his fucking kids to go to school this guy was a west point grad like a hard motherfucker and now he comes to tears every time he stands out of his fucking chair It's like, get it right. Like, it fucking matters, right? And I think if people find meaning in what they do, then they'll start to take the shit seriously. And that's like, it's, again, it sounds weird and esoteric, but it's like, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Is like, if I can get this right, and people can impart this on their clients, and it's like, as a coach, you're not going to get a fucking medal if your client doesn't die. But if you train someone over the age of 65 and they fall and break their hip, 50% of those people are dead within a year. Over 60, if they break a rib, they have pneumonia and they're dead in six months. It's like, no one's going to blame it on you, but fuck if you shouldn't take that on yourself, right? Like, it, it matters. And I think that, like, it's not a single principle or anything like that, but I think having that level of ownership as a coach, like, I know how I was when I wanted to get into training. It's like, I was a bouncer at a bar and a trainer at a gym. Like, I was the biggest fucking meatball. Like, work in the gym till 10, throw on the security shirt, go down, you know, pick up chicks whatever and then like but at a certain point you start to realize like you're having an impact on people's lives that's huge like you know like i don't think trainers get i a i don't think trainers get the respect they deserve or coaches get the respect they deserve but i think it's the deserving part because there's a lot of people out there who don't take it seriously so if we can start to see a a shift in in the way we look at things and the ownership we have over the jobs that we do i think it like i think people will really start to value trainers and coaches
0: Man, I love that so much. I agree. It's funny, like you said earlier, uh, watching Ronnie Coleman video before you train, like I have a long ass day ahead of me of work. And I feel like I just like you just gave me that dude, you just fired me up. But I 100% fucking agree with everything you just said. And I think it's an honor to be a coach and have impact on people's lives. So like the fact that you're like, I think the more experience you get, the more you hear people say how much you impact them. And once you actually start feeling that and hearing that you realize how fucking serious it is. So I love that you went that route, man. Um, the last thing I want to ask is um, the obvious, uh, I'm going to put everything in show notes, like shout out anything that you want people to go check out. Um, and then I love just like a, a quick nutshell of like, dude, where are you taking all this? Like, what's the what's the big plan? Like, I, I'm sure you don't know exactly what that is, because things change. But like, what's in, in the near vision? And what do you have going on right now for people to check out? Yeah. So the real exciting
1: thing that we're rolling out, uh, unfortunately it's, it's sold out at the moment. uh, And and in an efforts to keep quality high, we won't be rolling it out again until the new year. Um, But we're running our our certification course through Prescript online. And Just by the time people have reached my doorstep and and like our doorstep at Prescript, they've, they've kind of do that. They've done the Shawshank mile full of shit, like army crawl through the internet and what we think to be like, not bad information, but maybe not thought to the level that we think about things. Um, so the online certification course are level one that we offer online. We're taking um, we're taking wait lists right now for January. Our wait list is half full for our January course. a 16-week course that um, that we teach online. Um, right now, doing a lot of exclusive stuff with um, with some commercial, not commercial gyms, but a commercial gym in Canada called Good Life Fitness. Um, and then it uh, should be by the time this goes up um, with ultimate performance in in a handful of countries across the world. Um, but the big thing now is we're focusing on our programming online. Um, so we have a team that basically it's subscription based, um, subscription based programming where I think the big value comes in the actual, I don't want to say quality, but just the mindfulness of the people that follow our programming, like our, our Facebook board, like our group on the back end, is is something that I, I'm I'm in every day, and it's like by the time I get to an answer a question now, like it's answered by seven people better than I can answer, it. and, and it's been so valuable for me to kind of not create but just kind of foster this community. So that's something that we've really been been focusing on lately. Um, my my partner, my business partner, is uh, one of the one of the better Olympic weightlifters in the country, so he manages the Olympic weightlifting side from the programming perspective, and I manage the powerlifting and hypertrophy side and it's constantly updating. It's not just like here's eight weeks ago. It's like I just started the hypertrophy program um with a lot of our team members September first. Um and it's yeah, it's just it's really interactive. Um and it's something that we're constantly getting feedback on and we're constantly updating because I'm I'm constantly updating the program. So we started doing this in January of yeah, January of this year. So it's been about nine months now. And we've had people from day one that have just been following the programming. So it's being able to wave and periodize and, and start to put in these different progressions, like mobility, stability, and strength, and watching this in real time and getting people like, not just out of pain, like that's, it's not really our focus is getting them into states of higher performance. So that's like, that's kind of the plug shit. That's paying the bills. Um, long-term uh, getting back into sport performance for me is big. Um, you know, working with Stanford for a handful of years in the strength and conditioning realm, um, that's that's that was kind of my first love um working in the olympic training facility in canada at a young age and and being an athlete myself so i'm pretty lucky at the moment to to consult with a few uh a few higher end athletes but moving you know getting free script as something that is is representative of a of a higher quality coach and trainer like having that certification carry weight like understanding that when people come to us like hey do you have a pre-serve coach here they know that they're getting that thought process uh, and that attention to detail um, having having people that not only represent our brand well but above all else just represent themselves well the people that care like people that take this as seriously as we do um and then from a personal perspective it would be moving more into just one-on-one with my athletes that would be uh the bulk of my travel schedule so have have a you know a handful of weeks here and there throughout the year but from for me it's really moving into you know the, the elite athlete starting to really integrate the hands-on so i can watch the execution of the exercise so i can manage the programming uh and then i can manage the therapy side as well um, from a chiropractic standpoint so that's kind of the trajectory for me right now um and then while doing keeping up on the online stuff in the in-between
0: i love it dude yeah from somebody who's been watching what you've been doing the last couple years, man, it's going to be really cool to keep watching, dude. You're absolutely crushing it and things are growing at a crazy rate and you're, you're going everywhere for a reason, man. So I'm happy for you and I'm excited to watch and dude, seriously, I know how fucking busy you are. So thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this podcast today.
1: No, man, I'm stoked. I'm glad I'm pumped. We're able to connect And Like I'll definitely be staying in touch, man. Hopefully
0: in, in the travels, we can cross paths in person. This has been a lot of fun. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering. And because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more again to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation. Jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.